What up, 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 and welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on the Logan Blackman Show podcast, which you are listening to on Apple Podcast and Spotify. This is a big, big show today, big time, big, big, big time, because this is the first time in quite some time that we are going to talk about Major League Baseball. Oh my goodness, Logan, we have not done this in a God knows how long amount of time. I, I It's been a while, but the baseball playoffs are starting tonight. The AL wildcard match between the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox is tonight. So by the time the show comes out, you all will already know what the result is. I have not even seen the start of the game yet. As it's not even 6 o'clock, the game starts at 7. But man... This got me thinking because I haven't talked about this pretty much at all the entire time the baseball season's been going on. But we have had preseason predictions that we have to look at and go, wow, that was really smart, Logan. Or, oh, wow, that was really dumb, Lo- Logan. Now, this is just for the, pre-se- or the regular season because I don't know if you know this. If you don't get the regular season exactly right, your postseason is not going to really matter in the grand scheme of things. Because it's going to be completely different. It's gonna. It's just not going to work out. It just doesn't work out like that. If your regular season does not match what actually happened, your postseason, therefore, will not be anywhere close to what's actually going to happen. So here we go. So for the AL standings, let's just go over the standings real quick for the American League. For the AL East, we had the, Re- the Rays finishing first, the Red Sox second, the Yankees in third, followed by the Blue Jays and the Orioles. In the Central, we had the White Sox finishing first, the Indians, soon to be Guardians, the Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, and the Minnesota Twins. And in the West, we had the Astros, Mariners, Athletics, Angels, and Rangers. Now, just at first glance, there are some things that are glaringly wrong <laughs> with this. I think I got a grand total, just off first glance, just off first glance, Two right? <laughs> I, think, I think two. Maybe not even two. I don't know. There's there's a big glaring one was the Mariners. <laughs> now, I don't think I'm alone in saying this. I did not think the Mariners or know that the Mariners were going to be as good as what they were this season. Now, they did not make the playoffs, but they still won 90 games, which is weird for the recent <laughs> area of Mariners teams. You're not supposed to be this good. But they were. They won 90 games. I had them projected finishing fifth in the AL West, which is completely wrong. They finished second. Now, the rest of the AL West, I got the Astros right. They won the division. Not very hard to predict the Astros to win the AL West. Then in second place, I had the Oakland Athletics, who finished third. In third, I had the Angels, who finished fourth. And in fifth, or fourth, I had the Rangers, who finished fifth. So, apart from the Mariners, if you just slid the Mariners down to five or raised them up to two... We got it exactly right. We'll look at it like that. <laughs> the order, apart from the Mariners, is correct, <laughs> which, which doesn't matter. It does not matter. The AL Central, had another one that was glaringly wrong. That was the Minnesota Twins. I did not think they were going to be as bad as what they were this season. I had them finishing second in this division. They just dick slap dingers for fun. At least that's what they used to do. But Brian Byron Buxton being hurt a lot this season, the pitching, sucking, this season, in the entire American League, they gave up the second most runs. The most came from the Baltimore Orioles, which was not that difficult to predict. They gave up a 956 runs, the Orioles did. The Twins gave up 834, which again, second most in the American League, behind the worst team in baseball. 
That is not our joint worst team in baseball, I guess I should say. I did not think they would be that bad in the pitching department, but they had a lot of injuries this season. They traded away some players. So all in all, looking back on the season, it's not that surprising, but it's kind of hard to predict those things at the start of the season. At least that's what I'm going to use as my cop out here. But I did get the White Sox right, winning the division. I had the Indians in third place. The Indians came in second. And then you had the Tigers, who finished third. I had them finishing fifth. And the Royals, I had them finishing in fourth. And they finished fourth. So that's pretty positive right there. The Tigers were a lot better. I mean, this is saying how bad the Tigers are. 77 wins was surprising (laughs) for the Detroit Tigers this year. Very surprising. At least from my standpoint, I could be completely alone on that. But I was one that did not think the Tigers would win 77 games. I thought it was pretty much a lock to have them finishing last in the AL Central. That did not happen. So the only ones we got right there were the White Sox and the Royals finishing first and fourth in the American League East. Just the eastern part of the MLB was probably the hardest part to predict this season. Because for the NL East, you had a lot of good teams. Actually, no. The AL East was, I thought, at the beginning of the season, fairly easy to predict. I had it finished in the Yankees 1, Rays 2, Blue Jays 3, Red Sox 4, Orioles 5. Now, looking at it right now, that was very that could have very easily happened. This isn't like all the teams, like there's a few teams that are so much better than the other teams, and the other ones are just suck. No. Between the Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays, the Red Sox and Yankees had 92 wins. The Blue Jays got 91. So this could have been flipped around in any sort of way, but the Rays getting 100 wins... They're a really good team. I mean, we all knew the Rays were going to be good going into the season. I did not know they would finish first in the division. But I had them second, so you know what? I'll take it. The Red Sox finishing fourth. I didn't really know how good they were going to be this year. I didn't really didn't. But hey, you finished with 92 wins. I'm not going to sit here and say I had them going 92 wins. The Yankees kind of disappointed everybody winning only 92 wins, which, which tells you the expectations for the Yankees going into this season. They were just bad. For the early portion of the season, they were bad. And then they started figuring it out later, toward, after the, the Field of Dreams game, pretty much, or after the All-Star break, they started looking like they started figuring things out a little bit and started playing really well and eventually got to the playoffs, which is where we are tonight. So all in all, for the American League, I got a grand total. I got the Orioles right. I got the White Sox, Royals, and the Astros exactly right. Everything else, whitewash. So four things out of a possible 15 is not great in regards to percentage, correct, (laughs) being a correct percentage. That's not ideal. For the NL, though, this one, I feel there's one that's a really bad one. All the main reason why it's a bad one is because this team ended up being the best team in 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 Major League Baseball this year. They had 107 wins. Franchise record, led the majors this year. That is the San Francisco Giants, who I don't, I hope I'm not alone in thinking that they were a lot better than what I expected them to be. I am finishing fourth in this division. And the worst team in baseball, or the joint worst team in baseball, like we said with the Orioles, the Diamondbacks, I am finishing third. So looking at it in hindsight, I had the worst team in baseball, joint worst team in baseball, finishing above the best team in baseball in their division. That is not Pogger. <laughs> that is pretty bad. That is terrible. I had the Rockies finishing fifth, which I was fairly confident going into the season that the Rockies would be competing with the Orioles for the worst team in baseball. 
thought the Rockies were going to be terrible. They were bad. I mean, 74 wins is not ideal. That's more than the Cubs got this year. But the Diamondbacks were awful. There were stretches where it didn't look like they'd ever win a game. <laughs> they were bad, bad. And the, the fact, just looking back at it. Now, I made these predictions back in March. We are sitting here in October. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that took place in that time frame. But I the that is probably the worst prediction I've had just based off of what the teams actually did this year in terms of the Giants being the best team in baseball record-wise and the Diamondbacks being the joint worst team in baseball record-wise. You look at their records. The Giants won 107 games. The Diamondbacks won 52. The Giants more than doubled the Diamondbacks' win total this year. And I predicted them to finish above the Giants. <laughs> I, I thought, like a lot of people, that the Dodgers would win the division, which 106 games, they were the second best team in baseball record-wise. It's not surprising they won that many games. The team I had in second, the Padres, has to go down as the biggest disappointment of this season. And I think it's kind of crazy thinking about this. The the people that are in line for MVP in both the AL and the NL, the big names that you hear about, so like for the NL, you have Fernando Tatis and Bryce Harper. For the AL, you've mostly heard Shohei Otani and Vlad Guerrero Jr. None of those players are going to be playing postseason baseball. That is ridiculous to me. <laughs> There's no one getting talked about for MVP on the Giants, which is fair. There hasn't been... An insane can. I mean, Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford kind of had career resurgences this year, but none of them are really getting talked about for MVP. But the four people you're hearing about mostly, you know, there's other people that are getting considered in there, like Trey Turner I saw getting talked about a little bit, Juan Soto, but another guy that missed the playoffs this year. We'll get to the Nationals in a little bit. Who else? Austin Riley was getting talked about in the comments for some Twitter post, but the Padres... For their offseason moves, getting Blake Snell and Yu Darvish and Victor Caratini <laughs> and having Fernando Tatis, having Manny Machado. This was supposed this is Slam Diego. This was supposed to be one of the best teams in baseball, and they finished below 500 at 79 and 83. The Cubs traded away their best players and finished only eight games worse than the Padres. Now I know eight games is kind of a lot, but when you look at the expectations for the Padres and the expectations for the Cubs this season, they should not have been only eight games separating the pair. They're four, five games better than the Rockies, who were supposed to be one of the worst teams in baseball this year. The Padres have to go down as one of the biggest disappointments, not just this season. They're the biggest disappointment this season by far, but the biggest disappointment in recent history. <laughs> they were they were infighting. We had Tatis get injured for a little bit. They traded for Adam Frazier, who made the All-Star game for the Pirates. Like, this was going to be their year, and they just didn't do it. Start of the year, they were good. And then midseason kind of hit, and then it turned out, wow, they're not that good. 79-83 and 83 was their record. 28 games behind the Giants. That is in. Saint. <laughs> but yeah, I had him finishing second. I think there are a lot of people out there that had him finishing second. The pot, the Dodgers finishing first. I don't think it's the Dodgers. They're just going to buy. They're like the Yankees now. They're just going to buy everybody they can. They traded for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer midway through the season. That should be illegal. Yet they did it. Cody Bellinger is having a down year this year. And he's still one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball. Like no one... 
just because the Dodgers did not win this division, I think the Dodgers probably, this might be controversial, I don't know, I think the Dodgers have a better chance of winning the World Series than the Giants do, even though the Giants had a better record. You look at the recent history of the two teams, the Dodgers have been going to the World Series like every year. The Giants have been teetering on the mediocrity line forever. Or not forever, but for the last few seasons. And then they just shot up, <laughs> to me, pretty much out of nowhere. Getting Chris Bryant this offseason, Lamont Wade was a nice player for them this year. But man, this they surprised. I'm, I'm happy because I like the Giants, but yeah. I, I still think the Dodgers have a better shot of winning the World Series. I don't know if that's controversial or not. I don't think it is. But who knows? Who really knows here? <laughs> 269 plus 269 run differential for the Dodgers this year. Plus 269. The Giants plus 210. That is ridiculous. And then moving on to the NL Central. This one, we were close. Very, very close. Just flipping two teams around, or four teams around, I guess. Two different sets of teams around. We get this exactly right. The Cardinals winning the division, which after getting Arenado, I think was a very, I don't know, jumpy response to it. Like, oh, the Cardinals get Nolan Arenado, they're going to win the division. You have two of the best defensive corner infielders in the league and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, who just smashed dingers. Tyler O'Neill smashed dingers for fun. The problem was the Cardinals had a lot of issues pitching. A lot of issues. Whether it got down to injuries, whether it got down to inconsistencies pitching, they had a mess of things going on pitching-wise. And towards the end of the season, before they lost the last two games of the Cubs, were they on like an 18-game win streak or something like that? I don't think them winning the division at the start of the year, before the injuries to their pitching happened and all the inconsistencies they had, I don't think that was too far off. And then the Brewers finishing second, I think that was pretty straightforward as well. Brewers ended up winning the division. They had five games on the Cardinals this season. The Cardinals, until this win streak, probably weren't going to make the playoffs. And then they went on this insane tear and then locked up the playoff spot like a week ago. And the Brewers, though Christian Yelich is not the MVP that we once knew, their pitching is insane. Which we knew going into the season. We knew the pitchers, the pitching for the Brewers was good. We knew this going into the season. I don't think we understood how dominant they were going to be at times during the season than right now. Which is why it's crazy to look back at March and going, oh, we only had them predicting second. And the fact that the, the Cardinals railed this thing back to a five-game stretch, when you look at the pitching discrepancy between the Brewers and Cardinals for most of the season... It's pretty crazy that they only won the the division by five. But either way, great. They're really they're a fun team to watch. I hate the Brewers and I hate the Cardinals. I had the Cubs finishing in third, which on Cole and Company we had. I can't remember who what his name is. I know his name, but I don't want to mispronounce it. But he's a Cub. He works for Bleacher Nation, I believe, and he said the Cubs would win the division. I was of the mindset that. I didn't think the Cubs had it in them. And then there was that really weird stretch in the middle of the season, like right before the All-Star break, where they were tearing people apart. They went on an insane win streak. They were beating all the best teams in baseball to a point where people were like, oh, this team's actually legit. I fell victim to that. Going into the season thinking that they're not going to be that good and all the best players that you grew up watching over the past 
five, or I guess grew up, the last five, six, seven years, they're going to get traded. I went into the season having that mindset. And then you, you start dominating. You got this 30-year-old rookie Jack and Dingers, and things are exciting. And then uh, reality punches you right in the face, like right in between the eyes. And the Cubs crash-landed down to earth. And the pitching was like, oh, wow, this is not sustainable at all. And then they started sucking. And they started going on these insane losing streaks. Like, the discrepancy between the first half and the second half of the season were completely different in regards to feelings, toward, at least towards the end of the first half of the season. Then you had the, okay, it's start. we're going to blow this thing up, which they ended up doing. But, man... I went in the season pessimistic. I had some highs, and then the season, they traded everybody's like, okay, yeah, they're finishing fourth because the Reds were freaking awesome. I had them finishing fourth in the division because I think, didn't think the Cubs, I don't know what I really, I, I, I didn't do record predictions, which I did almost do this. There is a, so I do this thing for the NFL. It's playoff predictor where you can go in and it has every single game. You click the winner and it'll automatically like, Tell you who's at the top of the division, what tiebreakers and all this stuff. You go through every single game, predict all that stuff. It's fantastic. If you want to go do some NFL, I guess the season's already started, and we'll talk about the NFL in a little bit. But if you want to do that in the future, I'd recommend going doing that because it's a lot of fun to do, and it's very, I don't know. It, it's If you're bored, it's very fun to do. But they have this for the Major League Baseball, too. It's a little different doing now 17 games versus 162 games. That makes things a little more time-consuming. But I didn't really know what my expectations for the Reds were. I knew I loved Nick Castellanos. Jesse Winker was a baller this season for the Reds. And yeah, they were jacking some dingers. And at a point where it was like, they're going to make the playoffs. Before the Cardinals went on their insane winning streak, it was like the Reds are beating the Padres to the playoffs. And then the Reds kind of faded and then finished third in the division. They finished 12 games above the Cubs, 83 wins. Cubs had 71 wins. I, the thing is with the Cubs, I don't know if I've talked about this before. I know we talked about the players getting traded, but this team feels different than when the Cubs were garbage when, like in 2010, 2011, 2012, that area. This team's better than that. I think you got better pieces in place like Frank Schwindel's played really well the second half of the season since taking over the first base spot. Patrick Wisdom strikes out a lot. But he hits dingers. If he connect, he's basically the, this Cubs version of Kyle Schwarber. Not the Kyle Schwarber that was in Chicago, not the Kyle Schwarber that's played for Washington and Boston. <laughs> but the one that strikes out a lot, swings and misses. He's hitting a home run or he's not hitting at all. He'll swing at every single high fastball available to him. Then you've got Rafael Ortega, who kind of had a really hot streak post trade and post big Cubs trades. And then kind of went back down to earth. I think he finished around a 280, 275 batting average or something like that. 270 maybe. I don't really remember exactly where he went to. Ian Hatt played really well towards the end of the season. Contreras struggled this year, but he's still, though he struggled, one of the best catchers in baseball. And then the other outfield spot, Hayward, maybe. Trace Thompson hit a few home runs later, but I don't really expect him to be the full-time guy there. Second base, Nico Horner's back. Uh, you got Nick Madrigal is going to be back in the season next year, which is going to be awesome to see. I'm really excited for Nick Madrigal to take over second base. The infield seems set for the Cubs. 
This is at least how I'm seeing it now. They could make a free agent signing like Corey Seager's available. That'd be a pretty cool signing to get. Because I don't think you're going to have to decide between him and Trey Turner, right? I mean, it's the Dodgers. They probably don't. But normal teams would have to decide that. And I, based off the season Trey Turner's had, I think it'd be pretty hard to decide with Corey Seager versus Trey Turner. But if the Cubs went out and got him, that'd be cool. Move Nico Horner to the outfield or something like that. But an infield of Contreras at catcher, Swindell, Madrigal at second, Horner at short, Wisdom at third. That's a pretty solid infield. That's better than the infield they had when they were terrible. That's a lot better. <laughs> I think if you're looking at the best player in the infield versus the bad teams, sure, Stalin Castro is better than the, that peak Stalin Castro when he was 21 years old. That's better than what the Cubs have now. I'm doing this pre-Rizzo. So if you're trying to include Rizzo in there, pre-Rizzo. So Brian LaHare at first. And Ian Stewart at third. <laughs> and, uh, Darwin Barney at second. Which I have a Darwin Barney signed baseball, so I'm not going to say anything bad about Darwin Barney. I love Darwin Barney. He's kind of like, Jason Hayward's kind of the Darwin Barney of the outfield. Great fielder. Just can't hit. <laughs> Which is why Darwin Barney started batting eighth as opposed to second when he first got called out to the Cubs. But yeah, the Pirates finished last. There's no surprises there. The Pirates suck. We all knew this going into the season, and they traded away their best player, Adam Frazier. They had some nice pieces this season, like Brian Reynolds played well this season. But yeah, trading away Adam Frazier. I mean, that didn't really put a final nail in the coffin. They were already going to finish last in the division, regardless if the Cubs traded everybody or not. But I think all in all, in the NL Central, I think the Reds were better and the Cubs were worse than what I thought. And the Cardinals and Brewers are pretty much where I thought. I think the Cardinals just peaked a lot later than what I was expecting. And for the National League East, we had the Braves winning it, which I'm always surprised with how many people doubt the Braves going into a season where it's like they were not, there were some people who were taking them to finish fourth in this division. I remember seeing that and going, being really confused by that. And then second place, we had the Mets. They kind of sucked towards the end of the season. Not having Syndergaard, not having DeGrom for most of the season really sucks. Two of the be- DeGrom's the best pitcher in baseball by a country mile. Not having him most of the season stinks. Syndergaard, I don't think, played the entire season for the Mets. They brought in Baez. They brought in Lindor. They brought in these big-name players, but it just didn't really matter to anything. They finished with 77 wins on the season. Another disappointing team this season. Third, I had the Nationals. I didn't think they'd be as bad as what they were this year. Trading away Scherzer, trading away Trey Turner, trading away Kyle Schwarber, that really shifted the tide here for the Nationals, and they finished with 65 wins and finished dead last in this division. Yeah, and then the Phillies finishing second, I'm not surprised. I think this division was just really hard to predict because I thought all the teams would be somewhat good, which they were apart from you know the Nationals, who finished with 65 wins. But the Phillies, Mets, Nats, I kind of had them in the same area the Braves losing Ronald Acuna was huge but thankfully they have enough good pieces on this team and made some good trades this offseason or the middle part of the season to not fill the hole because Ronald Acuna is one of the best players in baseball so it's going to be hard to fill that hole but they did well of putting masking tape pretty much over it because getting Jorge Soler getting Jock Peterson nice players Eddie Rosario these are some nice pieces that you got this season and it Figured itself out. You finished with a plus 134 run differential. And that was the only team in the NL East to have a plus run differential. Every single team had a minus run differential. But the Phillies, Mets, Nats, I kind of had them in the same realm, same general area. I don't know. That that one was kind of... The Mets, I thought they made some good pieces. You had the richest owner in baseball now. 
And then they had some random stretches of really weird things going on. You had the the booing the fans thing, which I thought was hilarious. And if Mets fans don't appreciate Baez, I'll take Baez back in Chicago. I don't really care. Baez is one of my favorite players of all, actually my favorite Cub of all time. I'll take him back in a heartbeat. <laughs> and then again, Horner goes to the outfield. Baez can play in the outfield as well. He uh, tingled with that in the early portions of his Cubs career. Maybe he can do it again. I would I would doubt it because he's one of the best middle infielders in baseball. <laughs> when he's on, he could be very frustrating. But yeah, so the NL East finished out with the Braves, Phillies, Mets, Marlins, and Nats. I had it finishing Braves, Mets, Nats, Phillies, and Marlins. Marlins I had pretty comfortably finishing last. But the, again, the Nats sucking ass kind of ruined that. And the Marlins still has only scored 100, 623 runs, which was the second lowest in the National League. So it's not like they were doing their best to stay out of last place. But the Nat, the Nets, Nats just gave up 820 runs, which was 119 more runs than the Marlins gave up, which is the big reason why they finished below the Marlins in the division. But yeah, that was my predictions. If we just, just for fun, for my playoffs predictions, I had the Mets and Padres in the NL wild card for the AL. I had the A's and Twins, which neither one of those teams made the playoffs. And then we had the Yankees and the White Sox in the ALCS, which I guess can still happen. I had the... What were my predictions here? I had the... I guess I didn't have playoffs. Oh, here we go. I had the Yankees being the best team in the AL, followed by the White Sox, Astros, Twins, and A's. Those are the wild card teams. And for the NL... I had the Dodgers, Braves, Cardinals, Padres, and Mets. Which, if you look at the playoff standings right now, where's this uh, playoff standings? That's wild card. Where's the playoff standings in baseball? Oh, whatever. Either way, <clears throat> you have the, Bra- the Rays, the Astros, White Sox, Red Sox, and the Yankees. That's the AL standings. And for the NL, we have the Giants, the... Brewers, Braves, Dodgers, Cardinals. Dodgers and Cardinals being the wild card team. And then for the World Series, I think this is a pretty standard World Series prediction. Dodgers, Yankees, World Series. I think the Yankees just being as as bad as they were at the start of the season kind of surprised everybody. And now they're getting hot. So, I mean, this is going to be fun. Dodgers versus Yankees. Uh, Dodgers, uh, Yankees, Red Sox is going to be a very, very fun game. So... <clears throat> I'm intrigued by that. And then we look at season awards. These are still yet to be announced. But for the AL MVP, I had Mike Trout. It's either, again, like we said earlier, it's going to be either Vladdy Guerrero Jr. or Shohei Otani. However you want to look at it, Shohei pitched, but Guerrero was battling for a triple crown. So it was. it's going to be a close MVP race. I think Trout, if he's healthy, wins it every time. I had Tim Anderson finishing up there as well. He's not going to do that this year. Cy Young, Lucas Giolito, Followed by Garrett Cole. AL Rookie of the Year, Randy Arozarena from the Rays. And Wander, Wander, geez, Wander Franco, the other Rays player, shortstop. He moved up there to the Major League midpoint through this season. He's been very exciting. And for the AL Manager of the Year, uh, it's not going to be Aaron Boone. And it's it might be Tony La Russa, because that's why I had second. Aaron Boone ain't winning that. No, I bet it would go, I can't, is it Cash? I can't remember the Rays manager to save my life. What is his name? I'm freaking forgetting. Wow, Cash. Is it Kevin Cash? 
I'm completely blunt. Wow. I, wow. That is not great. <laughs> I think it's going to be him. Whatever. Then for the NL, Ronald Acuna towards ACL. He's not going to win it. Fernando Tatis, I had finishing second or another guy up there. So I think that could happen. It's between him and Bryce Harper, really. Trey Turner, I think, has a real shot at it because he's the only player in the playoffs right now. Uh, Cy Young, Jacob deGrom, if healthy. Like, the two people I have winning these trophies weren't healthy. So that kind of ruins things. And then Walker Bueller for Cy Young for the Dodgers. Yeah, he could definitely win it. Uh, Rookie of the year, Ian Anderson, pitcher for the Braves and followed by Cabrian Hayes for the the Pirates, third baseman. And then NL manager of the year, Brian Snitker for the Braves and Jace Tingler for the Padres. Well, Jace Tingler and not winning this award. For the manager of the year, oh, it's got a Giants. It's not Bochy anymore, but I can't, I don't know. I'm for, I don't know why I'm blanking so hard on these managers right now, but it's going to be the Giants manager. It's going to be the, it's going to be cash for the Rays because of what they work with in such smaller budgets than what the Dodgers and the Yankees, the teams they finished above, they were supposed to be two of the best teams in baseball. They finished above them, which the Dodgers still are one of the best. They're the second best team in baseball record-wise. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's still just crazy to think about how good the Giants have been this year, where at least expectations, by my estimation, was not going to be 107 wins. I would like to find somebody who thought they'd win 107 games. Or maybe not even win <clears throat> 107 games, just finish above the Dodgers. That's it. Like, you could have had any prediction ever and go, oh, they ain't finishing above the Dodgers. No one even thought they'd finish above the Padres. But they were just that good. They were a crazy good team. <clears throat> I'm really, che- I'm rooting for the Giants in the playoffs. Giants and Braves, because I like, I like both those teams. I like Ronald Acuna a lot. I wish he wasn't hurt, but hey, you win some, you lose some, and he'll be back with a bang next year and probably win the MVP. I think I'm going to predict him to win MVP every single season because I think he's that talented. Uh, yeah, that's what we've got for baseball things. Yankees and the Red Sox, so all of you will know what happened in that game. And then we got Wednesday night baseball. We got the Cardinals taking on the Dodgers. Dodgers, unsurprisingly, the favorite. We got Garrett Cole taking on Nathan Eovaldi, <laughs> which should not, if we're just talking about what they are, not Pirates Garrett Cole, <laughs> now Garrett Cole. It's, I don't think the Yankees really... I, I don't know. I don't know. And then for the, Do- the Cardinals and Dodgers, we've got Wainwright versus Scherzer. Two old heads taking on each other. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Go Dodgers. <laughs> I, hate, I hate both teams. Why does either team have to win this game? Can we just have a situation where we have a Dark Knight Rises thing where the stadium just collapses? Like, I'd be perfectly cool with that. And then... Bane walks out, says he's going to take over the city of Los Angeles because he only takes over Gotham or wants to take over Gotham. Like, that has little bearing on what we're doing here in Iowa. And since I hate both teams involved, I would be for that. 98% because people would obviously perish, and I don't want that. But that's why there's the 2%. (laughs) Oh, anyways, going to Los Angeles, though. The NFL, we had the the Chargers taking on the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Chargers told everybody that they're legit. The Chargers told everybody they're legit. And we knew they were going to be legit going into the season. I didn't think how, I didn't know how legit. I think we had them 10 and 7. We had them in the playoffs this year. And I knew they'd beat the Chiefs. I just didn't think it'd be the first game of the season. Or the first time they played the Chiefs. Much like the Bengals and Steelers. I thought the Bengals would beat the Steelers. Just not the first time they met. And the Chargers balled out. It was a good first half, and then things started to get a little scary here because if you look at the second half for Derek Carr this season, Derek Carr is basically 
this season, one of those not be very good in the first half and then ball out in the second half. So it kind of confuses my take on Derek Carr because you can't be good for two quarters and that's it. And he got outplayed. And Joey Bosa had no, did not mince words when it came to Derek Carr this past game. Basically, if you put pressure on him, he'll fold. Which, is that an elite quarterback, Keyshawn? You don't have elite quarterbacks getting talked about. If you do this, they won't be very good by other players. You get it from stupid analysts all the time. But not from players. And Derek Carr got sunned by Nick or by Joey Bosa, who is the better Bosa brother. Even though Nick Bosa is the hot new thing in town, Joey Bosa still is better than Nick Bosa. He's just really underrated. But yeah, Chargers beat up on the Raiders 28-14. to Justin Herbert, I have him in fantasy football. I had a giant mountain to climb this week. I was down, uh, what was it, like 88 to 121 or something along those lines. It might not have been 88. I know 121 because that's the, he has 121 right now, and that's what he had going into the game last night. The Chargers in the first half, Justin Herbert had three passing touchdowns, was 20 for 23 in the first half. He finished 25 of 38. Justin I could use a little more completions. You missed a few deep balls that would definitely help with my fantasy victory here. Now, I'm not going to blame it all on Justin. I did have a moment where I was like, I should probably pull Tyler Lockett because Tyler Lockett was questionable. And he was the only player on my team that was playing in the later slates for like wide receivers. So I thought about pulling him because I was like, there's nobody in free agency that I can pick up that would replace Tyler Lockett that'd be fine for this game. Because if he's not playing, I'm screwed. Which he might as well not have played. He got two points, 2.7 points or something like that. The person I was project or thinking about changing him with was Corey Davis. Because Corey Davis was my only other wide receiver that I really thought about putting him in. Because the other wide receiver I had was McCole Hardman. And I wasn't really thinking about that. And uh, A.J. Brown was out. Which, <laughs> let's go Jets. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. <laughs> and I think that, I know it sounds weird, Coming from a Bills fan, but I hate the Titans. So I'm cool with cheering for the Jets. I just think it's really funny that the Jets got to win over the team that's supposed to be really good this year. Defense sucks. And we knew that going into the season, but they stink. And uh, Corey Davis was inches going in. I was thinking about it the entire day. Morning of, going into those first slate of games. I was like, okay, this might be a game where I could do this. Corey Davis has been all right, but we know the Titans defense stinks. And then you've got... Tyler Lockett, who's got a hip injury, who might not play. He's questionable, expected to play, but might not play. Might miss some part of the game. I ultimately didn't do it. And then after the game against the Titans, I regretted it as Corey Davis gobbled up 17.1 points and Tyler Lockett got less than three. So, Drew, with just that change. So, I lost 121 to 107, pretty much. There's decimals in there, but we're not going to go into those. If you take the two away, so we're at 105, and add 17, I win 122 to 121. That's the inch, the game of inches in fantasy football. Which people make fun of fantasy football all the time, but that's the game of inches we talk about here. 17 points was on the bench because I was afraid to pull the trigger, even though I should have done it anyways. I regret it. To this day, which is a day later. But I regret it to this day. <laughs> so there was a lot of pressure on Justin Herbert's shoulders. He had 36 points was needed from him. 
He got 30 the week before. He threw four touchdowns against the Chiefs. And then he goes for, what, 22? Which isn't bad. But when you're losing by 35 points and you need 36 from your starting quarterback and your other team doesn't have anybody left, it hurts. And I scored over 100 points. I still scored 107 points. There was a game that happened this week where the winner scored 60. 60. (laughs) If you doubled their score. Well, I shouldn't say exactly because the decimal points might change it, but never mind. I'm not going to say that because <laughs> I don't know if it's right. But no other team that lost this week scored over 100 points. Every team that lost scored under 100, and I scored 107 and lost because I played the second highest scoring team of the week, which is a general theme this year for Logan Blackman and the Washington Foreskins. Every single game I played, apart from my one win, the team has scored over 100 points. I lost week one, 122 to 106. I lost week two, 193. I lost week four, 121 to 107. This is my highest scoring week of the season. I lost. And then my one week I won, I won 82 to 45. <laughs> ah, it's annoying. It's terrible. And that was my one game at home. We've been a road warrior team all year, and we have lost every single game we've been on the road, which is not ideal. And this week, would you believe it, we're back on the road again. Four of the first five games were on the road. That is ridiculous scheduling, Roger. We need to change that up. Good Lord. And we're just one of the highest scoring teams in the league, and we're one in three. No, we're not. Never mind. <laughs> it just feels like it. Uh, I've allowed the same number. Of, I've scored the same number of points as I've allowed, which I did not realize. <laughs> Oh, this is frustrating. That's that's it's that's insult that hurts. I've scored just under the same or a little bit under the number one team in the league. No, he's undefeated. He just scored sixty points this week, and he's still undefeated. That is a damn shame. That is a damn shame. I have a seventy-one percent chance to make the playoffs. Which, if you need to know, every team apart from two makes the playoffs this year. I'm projected to finish ninth. I was protected preseason to finish fourth. This is a terrible start to the season. In every single fantasy league I'm in, which is only two of them, I'm one in three, which is not ideal. Not ideal. Mike Williams, who scored like 100 points in the last three weeks, scored one last night. In another league, I had Mike Williams. I needed a Mike Williams amount of points to win the game, and I got one. So so frustrating. And I'm projected like over 100 points every single week, and I'm one in freaking three. So, yeah, we're a little on edge right now. But I'm not going to blame Justin. I'm not going to blame Justin because there was a lot of expectation on his shoulders, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I remember seeing at the beginning of the year that – Oh, why are we why are we hyping up Justin Herbert so much? He's overrated. How is he overrated exactly? He broke almost every single significant rookie passing record last year, apart from the worst one, the interceptions. And now we're going into a season and we're he's overrated. No one's had a rookie season like that before. And I think this is it's kind of crazy to think about when you look at other rookie quarterbacks and compare him and go, oh, well, this is how a rookie quarterback's supposed to play. No, 
They said this this morning. I was watching NFL Network this morning, and they said this this morning. This is not normal. What Justin Herbert is doing is not normal. Rookie quarterbacks should not be able to come in like this and be as dominant as they are. Justin Herbert is really good. Like, really good. And the expectations placed on the other rookies, like, we have four rookie quarter, five rookie quarterbacks. Every single first-round quarterback this year is in line to start, at least for right now. Because Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt and Andy Dalton's uh, health is questionable right now. So Trey Lance and Justin Fields could really start this next week, which Justin Fields should still start, but we already talked about the whole Matt Nagy thing. But we already got Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, and Trevor Lawrence starting. So we have five rookie quarterbacks in line to start. There was a time where it was normal to sit your rookie quarterbacks, but because of players like Justin Herbert, you have to start your rookie quarterbacks, otherwise people are going to get all pissed off. He had a rookie season that no one's ever had before. No one's ever had a rookie season like Justin Herbert. And he had the worst O-line in football last year. That's in how insane Justin Herbert is. And now they're 3-1, and one, and the Chargers are locked in on their franchise quarterback. Which is insane to think about. Knowing what was said about him prior to the draft, this is insane. And Joe Burrow is damn good as well. And Tua has not been that good. And which is why also, with Jordan Love, people have gone, oh, he must stink because he's not playing. Which we could go over the whole idea of the Packers drafting Jordan Love in the first place. But he's just not playing because Aaron Rodgers is a freaking MVP. Now, I could get the argument of he's not very good because of the fact he didn't even dress last year. I get that. But now he's dressing. He has seen action this year. Granted, in garbage time against the Saints, but he still saw action. But let's not write off Jordan Love because before he plays significant snaps in the NFL. Like, not garbage time. Aaron Rodgers sat for three years. Phillip Rivers sat for three years. But now the expectation is you get a rookie, you play him right away. And Herbert is the main reason of that right now. Now, there's other quarterbacks that are examples of that, of quarterbacks playing really good rookie years. Like, Matt Ryan had a really good rookie year. Just name one off the top of my head. But, like, Tua, I think it's crazy to think about with Tua because I saw this all last night. And I'm not surprised I saw this. It was the the Dolphins drafted Tua over Herbert. Which, if you look at it in hindsight, which I don't like talking about. We've talked about hindsight quite a bit today because of the baseball predictions. But when we're talking about things like this, I think it's fairly safe to say, regardless of what situation you put Justin Herbert in, if you put Herbert on the Dolphins team last year, who won 10 games, versus the Chargers team that had the worst def- or worst offensive line in football, and a defense that just couldn't stay healthy, with Brian Flores as the head coach versus Anthony Lynn, I think Justin Herbert balls out on the Dolphins. This is one of those situations where we know it can happen because we've seen him play with worse pieces. The O-line of the Dolphins was not great, but it was better than the Chargers because the Chargers was last in the NFL. And the crazy part about it is, if the Dolphins didn't do that whole stupid tank for Tua thing, Brian Flores wanted Justin Herbert. We talked about that during the draft process last year. Like, this was well-known knowledge that Brian Flores wanted Justin Herbert. And then the front office did the whole tank for Tua. Chris Greer was all in on it. And the Dolphins drafted Tua. And Justin Herbert went six to the Chargers. This is a situation where I can go 
where we know what the difference is between the, the Dolphins went ten and six last year with the worst quarterback than the Chargers did, and the Chargers finished seven and nine or six and ten, whatever they finished. I don't remember exactly. The Dolphins would have been better with Herbert. We know this. This is not something that you can go. Oh well, there's di- different circumstances. No, Herbert is better than Tua. I usually don't like saying this about doing things in hindsight. Like, what if Eli Manning stayed with the Chargers, Ben went to the Giants, and Philip Rivers went to the Steelers? Because that was what was going to happen if Eli didn't force his way out of San Diego. We know Herbert is better than Tua playing with a worse defense and worse O-line. Worse O-line with a worse head coach at the time. I think Brandon Staley is a better head coach than Brian Flores, but that's beside the point. Talking about just rookie year. And the Dolphins, they have to stick with him now. Do you know how it looks bad now? What do you think it's going to look like when they cut Tua or trade Tua? or move on from to in any way, shape, or form, if they get Deshaun Watson, which that would be an upgrade. And I like Tua, but man. Herbert had the best rookie season a quarterback's ever had, probably. Tua went won 10 games, dropped the, I thought this would be harder quote, and then sucked the rest of the season. There are three picks against the Bills' backups. I think in hindsight, the Dolphins would love to listen to their head coach and draft Justin Herbert. Which you can't do. The Chargers aren't going to get rid of Justin Herbert anytime soon. The Chargers are locked in on their quarterback, and I can only thank the Dolphins for taking Tua over Justin Herbert. And there was even reports that they wanted Joe Burrow because the Bengals, if you don't remember, the Bengals worked out with Burrow at the Senior Bowl. They were the coaches, or uh, not Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert at the Senior Bowl. The Bengals were the coaches of the senior bowl team that coached Justin Herbert. I think it was the South, which was ironic because Oregon's in the North. (laughs) But the Bengals were his coach. And similarly to the 2004 draft, when the Chargers drafted Phillip Rivers, the Chargers were the coach of the Phillip Rivers team. Even though Eli Manning was going to go first overall, if he didn't force his way out of San Diego, the Chargers were like, well, we coached Phillip Rivers. There were reports, though small, there were some that said Burrow was not going to play in Cincinnati. So it was one of those situations where the Bengals draft Burrow, Dolphins draft Herbert. This was kind of thrown around. It wasn't realistic, but it got thrown around a little bit. I made a blog post about it. And they trade pieces. But there was also the thing of, they'll draft Burrow at number one. Burrow will go to Cincinnati. He's an Ohio dude. He'll represent Ohio. Herbert goes to Miami. And then that's it. Brian Flores made it known. He wanted Justin Herbert. So... It's crazy to look back at things now and knowing how different things are. There was one pick that changed, arguably changed the trajectory of each team, really. Like, would the Dolphins be better if Tua was in right now versus Kobe Brissett? I don't know. I think the Dolphins would be pretty similar to where they are right now. I don't think they'd be too much different. They played some good football teams, yes, but... They're not playing too differently. Now, if Reed Sennett was the starting quarterback of the Dolphins, then we'd have a conversation with the Dolphins being the best team in football. But that's a whole other political debate we're not going to get into right now because, you know, you draft a guy at fifth overall, you can't start a guy that's undrafted and was on another team before. You can't do that. But that's the political side of things. We're not going to get into that garbage. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Dolphins wish they could have that one back. That's one they wish they could have back. <laughs> Oh, man. Herbert's a beast. Herbert's really damn good. 
And I appreciate the Dolphins taking Tua because I fear Justin Herbert a lot more than I fear Tua. And I like Tua a lot. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, other quarterbacks. Yeah, and Mac Jones, we didn't really get a chance to talk about Mac Jones and the Patriots because that was we were doing a show right before the Brady return to Tam- uh, New England. Patriots played better than what I thought. I thought it was going to be a bloodbath. I thought the Patriots would absolutely rinse the floor. Or the, the Bucks would just destroy the Patriots on every single facet of the game. I'm not going to say it had everything to do with it. I think the rain had something to do with it. Brady missed a few passes. Bucks dropped a few passes. But Mac Jones looked really good. And I still think, though, I said this before the game on Sunday, because, again, we did the show before the game. Zach Wilson still had the best performance out of the rookies this year. That was the best game a rookie played was against the Titans. Mac Jones played really well against the Bucks, but Zach Wilson still played better against the Tennessee Titans. In my opinion, now it's just my opinion, you could argue, you do the argument of the Bucks defense is a lot better than the Titans defense, and I understand that completely, but the Zach Wilson's also on a way worse team than Mac Jones is. So, like, the Jets stink. And the fact that Zach Wilson is just getting put up to dry there. Another team that stinks is the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Urban Meyer, we joked about it a few weeks ago about him going to USC, which was kind of joking, kind of not joking at the same time, because he needs to get out of there. And not for his own, for the Jaguars' own good, they need to get rid of him. And this is getting to Bobby, this is below Bobby Petrino-esque area here. Remember, every time I bring up Urban Meyer, we bring up the tier list that we made. It was Jimmy Johnson, Nick Saban, Bobby Petrino. And he is, we're going to have a new tier called Urban Meyer tier because this thing's a freaking joke, what's going on in Jacksonville. I don't even know where to begin on the whole thing. We obviously had the recent scandal going on that went viral this past weekend, which is just, I'm not even going to get into all that. We got a little bit of time left. <laughs> I'm trying to keep this somewhat realistic time frame here. We're already at 50 minutes. We're already going to go over the hour mark, but I don't want to get into that too much. All I know is Urban Meyer needs to get the hell out of Jacksonville. And I'm not saying like, oh, save yourself, Urban. No, just for everything, get the hell out of Jacksonville. And I'm not even a big fan of the Jaguars. Jaguars and Bills had a rivalry when Jalen Ramsey was there because the old Josh Allen's trash thing. Now I could really care less about the Jaguars existing. I like Trevor Lawrence. I like Travis Etienne. I like LaVisca Chenault Jr., I like some of the players they got. I don't like Urban Meyer. And I wish him to go to USC and just screw off because I don't, I'm tired of looking at it. He lost the locker room when he brought Tim Tebow in. And then he lost the locker room even further when he was trying to implement all these college things that obviously did not work. Trevor Lawrence, I feel bad for him. And I don't feel bad for, well, I feel bad for him. Yes, (laughs) he's got a terrible head coach as his mentor, his first coach of the league, couldn't be worse, really. But I think Trevor Lawrence has enough talent to work around that kind of that situation, so I'm not too worried about his career, but for his first year, this couldn't be a really worse year. And the Jaguars are about to pass the Buccaneers for most consecutive losses. I think they're at 18. They're about, I think they're, it's 18 or 19. I'm not sure which one. And if we look at the rest of their season this year, which I haven't really done the, I haven't had the privilege of looking at the rest of their season. They're not beating the Titans. They're not beating the Dolphins. They're not beating the Seahawks. They're not beating the Bills. They're not beating the Colts. They're not beating the Niners. They might beat the Falcons. So, okay. Hypothetical, they beat the Falcons. Let's just say that. 
they ain't beating any other team that's in front of them before the Falcons game. You got the Titans, Dolphins, Seahawks, Bills, Colts, 49ers. We're reaching, so we're at 18 now, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. And this is if they beat the Falcons. This is the only winnable game that I see up to end the losing streak. We're well in an untouchable ground here for losing streak. And then you've got the Rams, Titans again, the Texans, Jets, Patriots, Colts. So you might beat the Jets, you might beat the Texans. That's about it. But after that first week against the Texans, where you got ass-pounded, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. But they, uh, yeah, and Urban Meyer vows to regain Jags' trust. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're going to have the number one pick again. So we'll see how this works out for you. Oh, man. They, I projected them to win four games this year. Where the hell are they getting four games from? I thought after the Texans game, that I was like, okay, this is probably a game I could have predicted. The Texans winning one game this year, the Jaguars winning three. That's one I should have had back. But either way, I don't know if the Texans or Jaguars are going to win three games this year. They're terrible. And they're not looking for a quarterback. They just need to build the rest of this freaking roster. You traded C.J. Henderson after a year. You just drafted him ninth overall in 2020, and you just traded him. I don't know what's going on with that situation, but that's a crazy thing to me. But if you look at quarterbacks in this next draft, will there be one get drafted first overall? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think if the Jaguars stay as the worst team in football, which is very likely – I would look at a guy like Evan Neal getting drafted first overall, the tackle from Alabama. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be the number one overall player in the draft, so maybe look at him. Derek Stingley, maybe look at him. But number one for a corner feels kind of odd. You either get quarterback, tackle, or edge rusher. That's usually the positions you look at when you're talking about number one overall pick. But Evan Neal is probably the leading candidate if we're talking about the Jaguars picking first. Now, obviously, things are going to change regardless of the teams. So if the like the Lions have the first overall pick, it's going to be Kayvon Thibodeau. Or if they really like a quarterback, that's fine, too. If Jared Goff declines towards the end of the year or they're not fully committed to Jared Goff, then they'll draft a quarterback. But if you look at the quarterbacks in this next year's draft class, I don't know if we have one that will get drafted number one overall. I'd be kind of surprised, but not really because of the need for quarterbacks and needing a franchise quarterback is very important to success in the NFL, especially a rookie quarterback, because that allows you to sign other people on the roster. Having a rookie quarterback helps you fill out the rest of the roster because that quarterback's going to take a massive chunk out of your finances because if they're really good, you're going to have to pay them a lot of money. Look at all the top teams in the NFL with their quarterbacks. The Chargers are really good right now. Because their quarterback's on a rookie deal. The Rams were able to sign all their big pieces because Goff was on a rookie deal. So maybe they look at that situation and go, well, look at these quarterbacks in this draft class, and we'll go accordingly. So for this year's draft class, we have another quarterback prospect list of the Week 5 quarterback prospect rankings. And, uh, yeah, the same people, I'll just give you a little spoiler alert, the same people are in the top 10, but it's different than last week because of the fact we had every single quarterback play last week. In the top 10, Matt Corral didn't play, Carson Strong didn't play, and Desmond Ritter didn't play. So those are three top quarterbacks that just didn't play. And I apologize, I'm still trying to recover here. So I'm trying to hold my coughs down. I got a cup of water next to me trying to get better. But uh, we had everybody play. And number one, 
is, again, like I've said before, is still Malik Willis. Until he has a horror show of a game, he's staying at number one because there are things that he can do that literally no one else could even think about doing in this draft class. And this week against UAB, a game they were the underdogs at, going to Alabama-Birmingham to play the Blazers, one point, one and a half point underdog or something like that, Malik Willis goes in and scores the first touchdown ever in their stadium which is very impressive, a rushing touchdown. First half was relatively boring. Nothing else, nothing really went on. I think it was two field goals after halftime or before during, during the first half. And then Willis goes off. He has three total touchdowns in the second half alone. And they, they, they scored 33 second-half points to beat UAB. He had 287 pass yards on 13 completions with a touchdown and 144 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Well over... 300 yards. I mean, he only needed 13 yards to get over 300 yards anyways. Adding 144 yards to that is ridiculous. Malik Willis is an insane football player and clearly the best quarterback in the draft class. I shouldn't say clearly. To me, it's clearly, but other people have other things they're looking for. And pro football focus, as we've talked about, obviously read my article and said, you know what? Malik Willis is our number one guy too. We had Malik Willis at number one at week three, and he's been number one since then. So he's had three weeks of number one quarterback status and he ain't moving anytime soon. Number two is a change, Matt Corral. Matt Corral played against Alabama this week and got beat up. There was They lost by 21 points in this game. I don't think we can realistically pin a whole lot of that on Matt Corral. If I'm being honest here, now I am biased because I like Matt Corral, but their O-line did little to nothing against Alabama's pass rush. A team that averages 240 yards a game rushing was held a 78. So when you're made super one-dimensional by taking away the run game, and then you have no pass protection for your already one-dimensional now offense, you're kind of screwed, which is what happened here. You were not running the ball well, and you couldn't pass protect. So that equals an L, (laughs) a giant L, especially when you're playing the number one ranked team on the road especially when you're going for it on fourth down almost every single time, at least it felt like almost every single time you have the ball on fourth down, regardless of where you are on the field. And that gifted Alabama 14 points. The first one, we can take early. That you went for it at like the nine-yard line. That's fine. The other two, when you're in your own territory, punt the ball. You're not at home. If you're at home, I'd understand it. If you're at Alabama, which you were, don't do that. That is very stupid, and that's why you lost the game. And Lane Kiffin at halftime said we need to start converting fourth downs. No, you need to stop going for it on fourth down. They converted two on their first drive of the game, went two for three on their first drive. I don't think they converted one the rest of the game, which is fair because that's stupid strategy, and that's why you lost by 21 points, and Matt Corral got killed on Saturday. The O-line did pretty much nothing. They had no run game. They had a good first drive. That was about it. And if you're comparing the two quarterbacks that are sitting at second and third, it's hard to argue that Matt Corral's not number two with Spencer Rattler not playing very well. And he's not bad. We talked about this on Monday. We had the, the comparisons between Malik, uh, not Malik, uh, Khalil Tate and Adrian Martinez. He's not at that level. He's still a good quarterback. Adrian Martinez and Khalil Tate sucked for a little bit. Spencer Rattler's still a good quarterback. Matt, Spencer Rattler's still number three on this list. But he has not played very well to say the least, especially when you look at the fact that they've played one team with a winning record, and that was on the road. Their one road game was against a team with a winning record in Kansas State. The rest of your games at home, you can do the whole Tulane was technically at home thing, even though it was at Gaylord Stadium. 
whatever. Tulane's one and four. <laughs> and then you played a bad Western Carolina team, and then you played West Virginia, and I'm not, I might be getting the order mixed up. West Virginia, no, West Virginia was before Kansas State. I'm not looking at their schedule right now. Either way, it doesn't matter who they played. They have not played good teams. Let's just say it like that. They have not played anybody worth noting this season. And they took a last-second field goal, a field goal, late field goal to beat West Virginia, and a team you haven't beaten in years, you go to Manhattan and beat them finally. But you still, yeah, 22-25 is fine. But one of those incompletes was intercepted. It's against Kansas State. This is not a team that should be beating Oklahoma. I don't care if they have done it the past two years. They should not be beating Oklahoma. They shouldn't. They never should. Even though they have, they shouldn't. (laughs) I think most people can agree with that sentiment that Kansas State, though a fine football program, has a good coach, has good players, shouldn't be beating Oklahoma State. Or shouldn't be beating Oklahoma. You can beat Oklahoma State, fine. You shouldn't be beating Oklahoma. And I don't think... I think it's just the expectations going into the season that's getting Rattler booed because he's not playing bad. He's just not playing a Heisman candidate. He's just not playing at number one overall pick or number one quarterback level, so we're booing him. He's not played bad. His numbers are not bad. I think you'd want his interception numbers to go a little bit down, but compared to the top two guys, no interceptions this season, and he has four, that's not ideal. But I expect Rattler to get better as the season goes on. He's not bad. Just don't talk about him being bad. He's just not playing good right now. There's a difference between that. Number four is Sam Howell. Yeah, you should be kicking Duke's ass every single time you play him. Duke's had a decent season, but they lost to Charlotte week one, who has won one game, which was against Duke. And they all, or no, they they beat Duke. Charlotte lost to Georgia State, who has won one game, which was against Charlotte. And they're a team that got beat 59-17 to by North Carolina. This is not a team that you should be playing around with. And they didn't. They won 38-7. to But it wasn't like a perfect game. It was just a fairly easy game for North Carolina. 38-7, you don't really have to try very hard. And they didn't have to try to beat Duke. They lost to a team that lost to a team that North Carolina beat by 100 points. That's, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> so, yeah. He didn't do anything to lose his spot, even though I think the guy that's sitting at number five played really well this weekend, and that's Desmond Ritter, who had was just a part of the biggest win in Cincinnati history, beating Notre Dame at Notre Dame. And Desmond Ritter, he was the best player on the field at all times. Desmond Ritter is a damn good quarterback and was a main was the main reason that they beat Notre Dame. He had a really nice game, almost 300 yard passing, had three total touchdowns. He balled out. Scored every single touchdown they had. <laughs> or was responsible for every single touchdown they had. And, yeah. He's played really well this year. He's played really, really well. He's been a lot more consistent passing the ball. He didn't turn it over. and He had a fumble against Indiana, but didn't turn it over against Notre Dame on the road. Two big games for Cincinnati on the road. Yeah, Indiana has struggled this season. Has not looked very good. They still handled business there on the road. And now they're going back home this week for the first time since September 11th that they are back home, which is big. That's very big. And they're playing Temple, a team that they should take care of fairly easily. And I expect Desmond Ritter to have another good game and could jump above Sam Howell because Sam Howell and North Carolina have played really weird this year. 
really weird. They should kick the shit out of Florida State this weekend. Do I expect it to happen? Yes. Is there a chance it doesn't happen and they underperform? Yes, 100%. They should have beat the shit out of Georgia Tech. They should have done to Georgia Tech what Pitt did to Georgia Tech, and they lost by 30 or 20, however many, but it felt like 100. So there's a chance they don't. Cincinnati, they've had their two toughest games of the season, or arguably their two toughest. They've had the toughest game of the season against Notre Dame, and they should handle Temple fairly easily, fairly easily. Uh, Six is Carson Strong. They won 41-31, and it's pretty surprising that Nevada wins and scores 41 points, and Carson Strong in that passing attack is not the main reason. He scored only through only one passing touchdown in the game to Cole Turner, which is not surprising they went to Cole Turner, but Romeo Dubs didn't do anything really of note in this game. They killed Boise on the rush attack. They had three touchdowns running the ball. Their leading rusher had like 125 yards in the game, so they won the game running the ball, which is kind of surprising, but Carson Strong is not he's looked like a statue this year has negative 37 yards rushing but he's not completely useless running the ball he's just looked completely useless running the ball this year but yeah they've the numbers are not really there for Carson Strong this year if you look at everybody else in the top five just the five people above him Carson Strong has only eight touchdowns and the next closest is Desmond River with nine like Sam Howell's like 14 Red, uh, Rattler and How or Corral have 10, and Corral had a bye week, and then you have Malik Willis with 11. Garson Strong has eight touchdowns and two interceptions, which is not terrible. He's still completing a decent number of his passes, but remember at the beginning of the season, he said he wanted to complete about 85. He ain't getting that. 85% of his passes, he ain't touching 85%. But they're playing a tough schedule. Boy, They have played a tough schedule this point. They played at Cal, at Kansas State, at Boise State. That is a tough run of games right there. So I'm not surprised they haven't blitzkrieged anybody, really. They played Idaho State, did that to them. But they're tough games. Those are three really tough games all on the road. I expect them to get more into a groove in regards to the passing game. I think Carson Strong will get better as the season goes on, much like Rattler. But he hasn't played bad because, obviously, there wasn't the same expectations for him. So there's a lot less pressure on them. So people aren't really looking at it like that. But Carson Strong will get better as the season goes on. And they play New Mexico State this week. New Mexico State has given up 12 touchdowns, which is the sixth most in the nation, joint sixth most in the nation. That will, they should throw a lot of touchdowns. At home, against a bad New Mexico State defense, Nevada should have a really good passing game this weekend. Number seven is Kenny Pickett. He's had a great year. He's had a great year. 19 passing touchdowns this year to one pick. His career high before that was 13. He had 13 in two seasons, then 12 in another season. Now he's got freaking 19 through four games or five games, however many they played this year. And they piss-pounded Georgia Tech, a team that North Carolina should have piss-pounded. And Kenny Pickett just played really well. That's pretty, that's pretty much the gist of it. He's played really, really well. 19 touchdowns is ridiculous, especially when you look at his other numbers this year or the, past pre, the previous years. They ain't close. He's been just like a completely different quarterback. <laughs> He's played well. He's played very, very well. I don't know if I like the two gloves thing, but hey, whatever works for you. Teddy Two Gloves did that. Kurt Warner did that during the latter parts of his career. So whatever works for you works for you, but I don't know. I'm not a fan. I like the glove on the left hand, but the both hands is kind of off. But hey, maybe that's maybe that's his lucky charm. Maybe that's his lucky charm. Number eight, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR. Coming off a loss against Arizona State where uh, first half you looked fine, second half got beat down. You're down 24 to 23 at halftime and lost 42 to 23. That's not ideal. 
allowing 18 unanswered points on the defensive side. Now their defense is not very good. Their pass defense is the most the worst part of their defense. But Dorian Thompson Robinson played well. Had almost 100 yards rushing. Had over 230 yards passing. Didn't turn the ball over, which is big. He's only thrown one interception this year to 10 touchdowns. He has two rushing touchdowns as well. Great athlete. Just tough game against Arizona State. And they have, uh, you could call it a, I don't want to call it a bye week because you never want to call a game a bye week, but they're playing a, a really bad Arizona team. So maybe this should be a bounce back game for them. I expect them to have a, a nice little game this week, at least for DTR. Uh, number nine, Jaden Daniels had a really nice game. He had it through, through two touchdowns. First time he's thrown a touchdown pass in the game since UNLV on September 11th. He had two games in a row where he didn't have a single passing touchdown. He had a couple rushing touchdowns, but not this game. He showed off his passing ability, 13 completions, 286 yards, two touchdowns, 45 yards rushing as well with a big double-digit win on the road against the top 20 team. Good stuff. Very good stuff. And this week they play Stanford, which has proved to be a tough opponent for a few teams this year. Killed USC, played UCLA tough, and they just beat Oregon. So it's going to be a tough game for Arizona State, but hey, Jane Daniels had a really nice game against UCLA. And number 10, I even contemplate keeping him here, uh, JT Daniels. The best ability is availability, and he keeps getting freaking hurt. I don't know what it is. He gets hurt all the time. I don't know what I've, I, I feel like a broken record at this point, but I didn't get what people saw in him prior to the season starting, let alone now. Why was he a number one overall pick at any point? He's hurt all the time. He doesn't do anything special. They literally said on Saturday, his backup quarterback is a stronger arm and is more athletic than him. Why would I take JT Daniels as number one? Then? Just because he's undefeated at Georgia? They have the number one defense in the nation, by far. So I'm supposed to believe they're undefeated because JT Daniels in their offense? No. I don't know what he does. I really don't know what he does. I kept him at 10 because I still think he's better than the quarterbacks that are below. There are some quarterbacks that pushed him really hard because he didn't play. But, man, I, I'm getting confused on the JT Daniels hype. Thankfully, it's kind of stopped. And I don't mean this in, like, I hate JT Daniels. I don't understand the hype around him. I think it's just another situation where he was the high school player of the year, so he, ha- he has to be good. He has potential to be really good. But he's just, he's just average. Would I take him first overall? Not in 100 years. No. He doesn't have a strong arm. He's not that athletic. I mean, we could do the whole Tom Brady thing. Mac Jones thing. Mac Jones was awesome at Alabama. You could see what Mac Jones could do. I've never seen what this guy can do because he's always freaking hurt. In the game, he's not hurt. They're playing nobodies. And in the game against Clemson, he didn't throw a pass. Their one touchdown was a Georgia defensive touchdown. You can tell me he can't score more points against Clemson. Clemson is not good. They're outside of the top 25. They're not good. You could only score one touchdown on defense. Yeah, Georgia is not good because of JT Daniels. Georgia is good because of their defense. I'm not saying JT Daniels is terrible, but he's not number one quarterback at all. That's why you don't listen to Jason McIntyre. Uh, then we got the others. We have Malik Cunningham had a good week against Wake Forest. He's had a very nice year this year. He has 10 rushing touchdowns this season, which is ridiculous. He has 17 total touchdowns. Crazy stuff. Jake Hayner from Fresno State threw 50 passes against Hawaii and did not play particularly well. Put up decent numbers because he just threw the ball crap. Tell me, threw four interceptions as well. Not great. He had six, two interceptions going into this game. Now he has six. Not ideal. With 18 touchdowns is fine. 
he had a really he's played some really nice football this year. This was just not one of his better games. Grace McCall, perfect game against uh, Louisiana Monroe, 13 of 13, 212, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He had a very nice year, Grayson McCall. We knew he was going to be good, and he's still good. Uh, Tanner Mickey from, uh, or McKee, however you want to pronounce his name, from Stanford. Big game against Oregon. Three passing touchdowns in the game. Uh, he's got 11 touchdowns, no interceptions this season. That's very impressive stuff. He was the one that was closest to passing JT Daniels in the top 10. But I am going to hold JT Daniels for one more week. And if Tanner McKee goes off this week against Arizona State, then he will be in the top 10. I can promise you that. And the number st- uh, the last one is Keaton Slovis. He's back in the mentions. Had a very nice game against Colorado. Drake London Moss, some people. Very cool stuff. But Keaton Slovis is back in the mentions there. Emery Jones is out of there. Had a very weird week against Kentucky. Better week, or good week, but still has more interceptions than touchdowns, if I remember correctly. So he was dropped out. And who was the other one? I don't remember who else we had on here. Because I know Slovis and McKee weren't on here. Who's the other quarterback that I dropped out? It wasn't Brendan Armstrong. I dropped him out a couple weeks ago. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But that's all I've got for you today. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you didn't, I can only apologize to you. But I enjoyed the show. I thought this was a very fun one. Talk about baseball for a little bit. Go over the NFL, Chargers, Tua, uh, the NFL draft. Talk about some quarterback prospect rankings again. So here we go. Here's the top 10 again for those of you who have short-term memory loss. And uh, we've got Malik Willis, number one. Matt Corral, 2, Spencer Rattler, 3, Sam Howell, 4, Desmond Ritter, 5, Carson Strong, 6, Kenny Pickett, 7, DTR, Dorian Tubbs Robinson, 8, Jaden Daniels, 9, and JT Daniels, 10, with Tanner McKee pushing him for that 10th spot. But again, that's all I've got for you. Hope you enjoyed the show, and I will see you on Friday. Peace.